Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. If you would be taking your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, as uh, we look at verse 28 down through verse 48, uh, this is what we traditionally call Palm Sunday, and so we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that goes along with Palm Sunday. So Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 28 down through verse 48. I wonder as we get started this morning if any of you have ever missed the point. Somebody's trying to tell you something you just totally missed what they're trying to get at. I know every time uh, I think about this, I think about a guy I used to work with. His name was David. He was a super nice guy, and he always wanted to help other people out. Well, David was telling us, uh, he, came, he came back into work one day, and he was telling us that he had been following someone who was moving. Well, in the process of moving, they went over a bump, and as they went over this bump, one of their golf clubs fell at the back of their trailer. And so David, being the nice guy he is, he stops, he picks up the golf club, and, and he, he proceeds to try and get the golf club back to these people. The way he goes about it, though, is that he gets, his, gets the golf club, hangs it out the window, and drives as fast as he can, pulls up right behind them, following them down Southmore Road, and he begins to honk his horn and flash his lights, waving a golf club at them. They didn't get the point. They sped, and he said he never saw them again. So every time I think about missing the point, I think about those poor people somewhere that are, are down an nine iron. Like, they, they just totally missed what David was trying to do. But, but, but it's easy for us to miss the point. I, I know Crystal and I, she sometimes doesn't like watching movies or listening to music with me because I like to point out the point. You know, it's not enough for me to watch the movie. I want to explain to her what they're actually trying to teach and what they're, the point they're trying to get across. I'm like, oh, you don't understand what's really going on here. They're trying to manipulate you and trying to make you think this idea. Like they have this point behind them, right? Except for pointless movies, but we won't get into that. But like they, they always have a, a message they want you to see, right? They want you to understand something. And, and if they're good at it, they sort of hide it and they layer it. And, and you don't really even know what the point is until you get to the end of the movie. Well, when we come to Luke's gospel, as we've read through Luke's gospel over the last several months... Luke has a very specific point. God has given him a point that he absolutely wants us to get. And this point is not hidden. His point is Jesus, really. His point is, is that Jesus is the Son of God, come from heaven to earth, uh, according to God's promises, according to God's plans, that Jesus lived a perfect life, and at the end of that perfect life, he died on a cross for our sins, and then on the third day he rose again. That's Luke's point. Like, there's no arguing that is Luke's point. That's the, all of the gospel writers, that's their point. Jesus is our only hope for salvation. Like, that's the point. That, there is no other point. We can argue and debate different minute, minute details about the gospels, but the gospel writers themselves have a point, and their point is Jesus. And so this morning, I don't want us to miss the point. <laughs> the point is Jesus. Let's look at verse 28, beginning in Luke 19. And when he had said these things, he went, on ahead, uh, uh, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage, Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into a village in front of you, uh, where, you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. And then we'll go on to verse 31 uh, and then come back and talk about this. But verse 31 is this. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. 
Verse 33, And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Will you join me in prayer again this morning? Father, I pray that we indeed would not miss the point, that we would see Jesus this morning. God, I pray that uh, your word would be clear to us, Lord, that I would not uh, confuse it, that I would not uh, be unclear in my attempt to, to share your word this morning. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you, God, that you would remove the distractions from our minds. And God, that we would truly uh, just spend some time with you now in your word. Help us, God, to grow closer to you. And Lord, I pray that any who don't know you, Lord, that you would bring them to know you even this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so uh, imagine being one of these disciples. Imagine walking with Jesus and him saying, Hey, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And then later on saying, Hey, um, go on into Jerusalem ahead of me. And, and there's, there's a colt. There's a donkey's colt that no one has ever ridden before. I want you to get it. I want you to untie it. I want you to become horse thieves and bring it back to me. Right? I mean, so go get the colt and bring it back to me. And can you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples at this point? Like he, he says, go get it and bring it to me. Uh, and so they go up and what do they find? Well, they find a colt tied up waiting on them, just as he had said. He said, there will be a colt. They get there, guess what? There's a colt. It's a, a colt of a donkey. We learned that from the other Gospels. So, so he goes up and, and he finds, they find this colt, and they bring it back to Jesus. And, and what I want us to see here first off this morning, guys, is this. Uh, when we come to Jesus and understand that he is the point, we understand his power. We don't, if we're going to see Jesus as he is, we cannot miss his power. This, Jesus did not wake up that morning on a whim and say, huh, I wonder if there's a colt tied up outside of somebody's house down there. I think I'm going to send my boys to find out. I, I've never ridden on a colt before, and so might as well be today. That's not what happened. Jesus actually had this planned out. In fact, this is planned out hundreds of years before this. Here in a minute we'll see him riding uh, into Jerusalem, but Zechariah 9.9, hundreds of years before this passage, says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This is Israel. O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, where Jesus is entering into. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, God had planned out this little trip into Jerusalem hundreds of years before it ever actually happened. If we're going to understand Jesus this morning, we have to understand his power. His power is a, is a planned power. Nothing catches Jesus by surprise. In just a little bit, he's going to go into Jerusalem, and they're going to murder him, and they're going to hang him on a tree until he is dead. He's going to be beaten. He's, he's going to be betrayed. All of these things are going to happen to him. None of it catches him off guard. None of it is he like, oh, I didn't see that coming. That Judas, he sure is a sneaky one, isn't he? No, he, he knows what is happening before it happens. All of this is according to his plan, according to the way he had planned things out. This morning, guys, as we think about Jesus and think about him being the point, we've got to think about his power. And this is, this is what I mean. If you understand that he has power and that he has planned all things out, then when the, the waves of trouble come on you, you won't get washed away. You actually have a solid place to stand. Because, let's be honest, 
Every day we wake up, it's a good possibility that the troubles of this life will come on us and just wash us all away. That they will just grab our sanity and take us under. When, when those things come up, when, when the person that we love comes up sick and we can't do anything about it, when people are looking to us for answers and we have none, because when, when we wake up and realize we've lost our job, when, when, we, when we come to a place where someone has destroyed our trust, someone that we really trusted in, when we wake up with a negative balance in our, in our, in our, in our bank account, when we have a flat tire even, when we look around us and nothing makes sense, nothing makes sense at all, we have to understand that ultimately all these things are working together for our good according to His plan in some way. That He is taking us to a point. We have to understand that He is not surprised by anything. He's not like, man, I sure didn't see that coming, John. Sorry. I'll watch out for you better in the future. No, He has everything planned out so that when the whole world is falling apart around us and the world's coming down on us, we remember that He has it all in His hand including all the broken pieces of our lives. And he's holding it all together by the power of his word. That doesn't mean everything works out perfectly all the time or even the way we want it to. Very often it doesn't, does it? But he has it all. He has it all uh, worked out according to his plan. In the middle of the insanity, he is our place uh, of, of reason, of peace, of understanding, of here's my anchor, I can stand here. And so this morning, first of all, I want you to get His power. Don't miss His power. Because life will make you miss His power if you let it. And so remember that He has all of this worked out ahead of time. So He says, go get the colt. They get the colt. The dude's like, hey, why are you taking my colt? They're like, the, the Lord has need of it. And he's like, okay, whatever. And so they take the colt back to Him. And they put Him on it. And we come to verse 36. And as He rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to Mount, on, down to uh, <laughs> down the Mount of Olives. I'll get it out here in a second. That, that word "mount" that's a hard one to say. I don't know why, but down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." Remember what the angels said when they saw the the shepherds. But, but as we look at this, we, we don't miss his power, but we also don't miss his humility. Now, when you think about uh, the fact that the Roman generals and the Roman emperors, when they came into town, they did not come in on the, the foal of a donkey. They did not come in on the colt of a donkey. They came in in chariots with their, their, their defeated enemies drugged behind them, with armies all around them. They, they came in with these huge parades and all of the important people out. Jesus comes in riding in on a donkey's baby uh, with a bunch of peasants pouring out their, their garments on the road in front of him. Some of this is imagery from the Old Testament, and uh, we may talk about that some Wednesday night, but, but this, this is a picture of the difference between who Jesus is and every other uh, earthly ruler that has ever been. He is not interested in trying to show off. He has nothing to prove. He doesn't come in to conquer Jerusalem. He comes in to save Jerusalem. He doesn't come in to, to, to force these people in, into something. He comes in to show His love, to show His mercy. He comes in humility. He doesn't come in this way uh, uh, doing anything like the, the earthly kings had done. He comes in simply showing who He is. And out of who He is, they begin to worship Him. One thing you should notice here 
is that it says in verse 37 that the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. And it's out of this multitude of disciples rejoicing and praising God that the crowds join in and begin to praise him as well. Now, some of these folks, I'm sure, began to understand who Jesus is as a result of his disciples, and some of them didn't. We'll get to those who didn't here in a minute. But, it, but it's a reminder that as we praise God, you know, he, he said here that they were praising God for all the great things, all the great deeds they had seen Jesus do. Because it is our responsibility to praise God for all he has done in our lives so that others can see that and rejoice with us. It's important to share our experience of grace, our experience of God's power, so that others can hear. And so these others are influenced by the disciples uh, uh, to see that they are to praise Him, to see that He is absolutely the Messiah they've been waiting for. And so they're having this amazing worship service. Just picture all these people uh, praising God, glorifying God because of who Jesus is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Our Messiah is coming into town. The King has arrived. Like everybody's out and they're praising him. It's a good time. Like the, It's rocking that morning, right? Everybody's got their hands up. It's just amazing. It's wonderful. But then you always got those folks, right? Look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. These guys missed their opportunity to worship. They missed the point, and they missed their opportunity to worship. In the middle of this group of people who are worshiping, there are some who say, no, I better tell those people to quiet down. They're getting a little too excited over there. They're disrupting my morning nap, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're too excited. I don't like how excited they are. They're making me uncomfortable. They're making me not happy because they are messing with things. They're doing things. Like, I mean, they, they are not happy with this crowd that is praising Jesus. They don't get that Jesus is the point. They don't get that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they say, tell them to quit praising you. Tell them to quit calling you the Messiah. Quit, telling, quit allowing them to call you the, the, the Savior. And so Jesus' response is interesting. He says, I'll tell you what, guys. They shut up. All the rocks are going to start singing in their place. What he's saying to the Pharisees is this. The rocks understand more about the things of God than you guys do. You're dumber than a rock. It's what he's saying to them. But but all of creation recognizes that Jesus deserves worship and deserves praise. And these guys who knew everything there is to know about the Bible, everything there is to know about God's promises to his people and what the Messiah would look like, are standing there with their arms crossed and saying, "Mm -mm, this ought not be going on. This guy does not deserve this worship. These people need to stop worshiping Him. This is wrong in every way. And Jesus says, guys, don't you know that even the rocks would praise me if if they were not? And so I want to encourage you this morning. Don't let rocks do your job. Don't allow the rocks to show themselves as smarter than you are. Use your talents, use your time, use your voice to praise the Lord for who He is. Don't worry what everybody else thinks. Who cares what the Pharisees think? Who cares if people call you weird? Normal is way overrated. 
Be who God has called you to be and worship Him. Don't let others stop you from worshiping this King. Don't miss out on your shot to worship Him simply because others don't agree. Uh, And so, let's move on. Let's look at verse 41. And when He drew near and saw the city, He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So Jesus, don't miss his heart this morning, guys. Don't miss what he really desires and what he really wants. While these people were worshiping, Jesus begins to weep. They're worshiping, he's weeping. He's riding into Jerusalem on this this foal of a donkey. And as he gets closer to Jerusalem, and as the, the cityscape begins to expand before him, tears begin to come down his eyes as these people are worshiping. Why is he weeping? Because he knows what's coming. He knows that these people are missing it. He knows that these people are missing the point. Many of them are going to reject him. In fact, the majority of them are going to reject him. He he, he says, I wish you would know the things that make for peace, the things that are actually going to satisfy, the things that are actually going to help you. I wish you would know what actually makes for peace. Jesus is who makes for peace. Jesus is what makes for peace. But these people don't get it. You see, these same people, many of them who are worshiping him at this moment, are going to be crying out, crucify him by the end of the week. Not all of them. I mean, some of his disciples stay true. They all flee. Outside of John, we'll we'll talk about John maybe another time. But outside of John, all of the rest of them flee. And then you have this huge crowd, this huge throng of people who, instead of being influenced by the disciples, are influenced by the Pharisees. And they cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate says, should I crucify your king? And he says, they say, we have no king but but Caesar. Like, crucify this guy. Kill this guy. We don't like him anymore. See, they're still looking for a physical kingdom. They don't get it. They don't understand the Savior that Jesus has come to be. They don't get his heart. They've missed his heart. They're still looking for the physical blessings of the Lord. But Jesus has come to bring a, a spiritual kingdom. They don't understand what makes for peace. They were blinded to the truth. Uh, of what truly makes for peace. Which brings me to the question, are we that much different? How often do we come to the Lord? How often do we expect Him to give us peace, physically speaking? Or how often do we not come to Him because we think we can find peace in other places? We think that we can avoid the pain in our heart and in our life by simply not thinking about it, by not acknowledging it, by simply moving it aside or we think if we if we have more money that will give us peace if we have more friends or more women or more men or whatever that we could have peace more power whatever it is and it comes down to the fact that there's only one prince of peace and that he's the one who came riding into jerusalem on a, on a donkey's uh, colt we forget that he's the point he's also our only source of peace he's the only one who can steal your heart this morning He's the only one who can quiet your soul. And Jesus is weeping over these people because they don't get it. And also because of what's going to happen to them because they don't get it. Look at verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Don't miss his heart, and don't miss his offer of salvation. 
See, Jesus begins to, to speak about what's going to happen in about 40 years when Titus will come in, this Roman general, he'll come in and he'll just absolutely obliterate Jerusalem. He'll absolutely destroy everything. There'll be nothing left. These people are all going to suffer horribly. Jesus looks out over them and he, he sees what's going to happen in their lives. And he begins to weep. You know why he's weeping? Because he knows that they have an opportunity to be saved. He says, but you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know when God showed up and you refused him. You were not looking for him. You were not paying attention. So you missed him. You missed the point. You didn't grab the salvation when it was available to you. He says, it says here that he was weeping over them. Who are these people, guys? Who are who's these weeping over? These are the people who are going to call out for him to be crucified. These are the people who are going to mock him. These are the people who are going to spit on him. These are the people who are going to kill his disciples. That's who Jesus is weeping over. Don't miss his heart this morning. His heart is for you to be redeemed and receive salvation, not for you to be destroyed. His heart is for you to be set right with God, not punished. His heart is for you to be in heaven with Him for all eternity, not for you to experience eternal hell because you refused to believe on Him. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in those uh, who have rejected Him being punished. He wants you to be saved. He wants to offer you salvation this morning, but you've got to reach out and grab it because there's going to come a time where He says, you missed your shot. Look at verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Don't miss his call on your life this morning. You're, not, you're saved to serve. And here's what I mean. I'm trying to say this gently. Um, if Jesus is the point, then you aren't. Or to put it in Arkansas terms, if Jesus is the point, you ain't. You get it? Like, like, if Jesus is actually the point, if Jesus is the reason why we do everything, if He's the purpose for why we do everything, then you're not. Like, like we have to come to the place where we understand who Jesus is. We have to understand that He is actually the point for why we do everything. And if He is, then we're not. It changes everything. Because then it's not about our preferences, it's about His. It's not about what we want, it's about what He wants. And, and, so, and the reason why I bring that up here is because as He enters into the temple, remember who He is, He's the Son of God, God has come home to the temple. And He finds His people not doing what He called them to do. He, he quotes this passage from Isaiah that, that says, uh, My house shall be a, a house of prayer for all peoples, is what, what Isaiah says. Jesus says, I... Uh, called you as the Jewish people to be a light to the world. And here you have this temple uh, that is to be a light to the world. This is a gathering place for all those who want to worship uh, the Lord. But you're using it as a den of thieves. You're using it to rip off the people who want to come and sacrifice and worship God. Now we, we learned from different sources that what, the place that they actually did this in was called the Court of the Gentiles. And so if you weren't a Jewish person, if you were uncircumcised, well, we can talk about circumcision another time, but, but basically if you weren't circumcised, they, uh, uh, that's where you would go and you would worship. That's where you were allowed in. They used that as their mall, basically. That's where they, they would trade out money and they would do different things to, to get money. And, and in fact... Uh, we see in Mark's gospel that what they were doing is they were buying stuff on one side of the temple complex and then using that as their, their shortcut across. 
I mean, why not? It's shorter than having to walk all the way around the court of Gentiles and give them a place to worship. We'd much rather use that as our hangout place, as our place to buy and sell stuff, than give them a place to worship because it's about us. That was their mindset. It's about me. Who cares what anybody else wants? Who cares what anybody else needs? Our purpose here is me. But God's temple is to worship Him? Sure, sure. But ultimately, it's about what I want. It's about making things easy on me. It's about meeting my preferences and my needs. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to use the church that way. You see, He's called us to be a light to all peoples with the gospel. He's called us to serve others, not to serve ourselves. And so, as a church family, our job is to make sure that Jesus is always the point and that we're not. As individual Christians, guys, we are not the point. Jesus is. And if he's the point, we're pointing people back to him. So, so yeah, I mean, things happen and, and we get our feelings hurt, we get upset. You know what we ought to do? We ought to pray, praise the Lord that he saved us and point people back to him through our forgiveness, through our grace, through our mercy. Every time we serve him, it should not be a, a matter of, well, you know, I'm serving more than other people and then like this bitterness that builds up. No, it should be I get to serve him because he loves me. What an amazing opportunity. Don't, don't look at serving him as, as a burden. Look at it as a blessing. You get to serve the king of the universe. Not as something you have to do, something you want to do. He's one worthy of your worship. It, it's so dangerous when we begin to believe that things are about us. When we begin to believe that we are the point and that our good deeds are the point, we'll become like the Pharisees and begin to believe that we get into heaven based on what we do. That's where they went so wrong. They thought they were the point. They thought it was about how good they were. And Jesus said, no, actually, I'm the point. My good deeds are the point. My righteous living is the point. He said, my, <laughs> my sacrifice on the cross is the point, not how good you are. He is the point. We are not. And, and so these people, because they believed they were the point, when Jesus didn't give them what they wanted, you know what they said? Kill him. We don't want anything to do with this guy if he's not going to give me what I want. You know, you can tell if you've gotten off track. If when God doesn't do what you want him to do, you're like, well, I ain't serving you then. I'm done. Mm-mm. I'm not doing it. I'm mad at you. I ain't going to serve you no more. You've forgotten who the point is. It's not actually about you. It's about him. And, and so search your heart this morning and ask, why do you do what you do? Are you the point or is he? And, and just let me... End with this. Let, let me encourage you again before I do end uh, to, to invite others to hear the gospel, to share the gospel with others. If you're not the point and he's the point, then we ought to be doing all we can to share the gospel. When's the last time you invited somebody else to trust on him? When's the last time you invited somebody else to come to church with you? Encourage your, your family and friends that don't know him to come with you next week. So we celebrate the fact we serve a risen Savior, a living Savior, not a dead Savior. And if you don't know him, remember his heart for you this morning, guys. If you're sitting there and you're like, you know what, I've been too bad. There's no way I could ever serve him. There's no way he could ever forgive me. Look at his heart. He's weeping over those who are getting ready to kill him. He's weeping over those who are getting ready to mock him and abuse him and spit in his face. Yet he is weeping over them because he wants them to come to him. Because he wants you to be saved. He wants you to be forgiven. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to live eternally with Him. 
If you haven't trusted on him this morning, do that even now. If you would uh, stand with us, and as you stand, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. And as we sing, would you come? Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you.